Welcome. You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Bible Church in Cambridge, Ontario. At GBC, we're all about finding rest and relationship in God through gospel-centered worship, discipleship, and community. To learn more about GBC, check us out online at gbccambridge.com. Now here's Pastor David Robinson with a message from God's Word. Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Your throne has been established. From the beginning, you are from eternity. The floods have lifted up, Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. Greater than the roar of a huge torrent, the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is majestic. Lord, your testimonies, your word are completely reliable. Holiness adorns your house for all the days to come. We're thankful that we gather together once again to remember the majesty of God, that his word is reliable, and that he is a holy God. This past week, we've been reminded once again of our need, not only for our Savior, but for a majestic Lord, to give us hope and strength. And that's what we pray. We pray that you would have hope and strength found in the holiness of God, by the word of God, through his spirit. We've also been reminded that not only are we living through a pandemic, but there are also the daily struggles. We're reminded of those who battle with cancer. We're even reminded of the gift of life as uh, in our GBC family, we celebrate the birth of a boy. We're glad that you can join us as a church family. And we want to pray for you today, and we want to pray for one another. We want to thank you for reaching out to others. And we want to thank you for for, uh, looking for special ways to care for one another. We've heard unique stories, and we're thankful for our family. So let's begin our time with prayer, reminded that we have come before the majestic God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that Jesus reigns. We give you thanks today that the Lord reigns and he is robed in majesty. We see him covered in glory. And Father, we're reminded that the word that we look at this morning is reliable because the one who wrote the scriptures is holy and majestic. And so Father, we pray that as we gather once again in various places at various times, that you would unite our hearts as a church family and we would celebrate the hope and the praise we have in Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray, amen. We're gonna be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 25. And I'm gonna read that with you right now. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 25. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. 
they inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. For you know that you were redeemed from an empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, from a pure heart, love one another constantly. Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Last week, we looked at Peter speaking to a chosen, but a suffering people. They were exiled and they were scattered. But when he begins to speak to them, he explodes the goodness of God. He was telling these exiled, isolated, suffering people of God that there's hope. And that's the message of 1 Peter. There is a living hope in a dying and suffering, unjust, broken world. The praise centers on Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. And that's what we read in verses 10 through 12. Even in the Old Testament, the hope was on Jesus. We read that the Old Testament prophets prophesied by the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit was revealing Christ. And the two big themes in the Old Testament about the person of Christ is his suffering and his glory. He would suffer and then he would be glorified. A great reminder for the people to whom Peter was writing to, but also to us that we will go through suffering, but the suffering leads to glory. 
And not only did the Old Testament prophets, not only were they excited about the coming of Jesus and assured of the coming of Jesus, but even the angels are excited. The the New Testament preachers preach by the power of the Holy Spirit about Jesus Christ, and the angels are looking into this, and they're wondering, and they're gravitating towards the story of Jesus and the gospel. What is transpiring? What is going on? And it's for you. It's for you to know this gospel. So if Peter is speaking to a a broken, suffering people, and yet um, they are called to praise, how are these people called to live? Having been reminded of the incomprehensible goodness of God, how do you live your life? How do I live my life as a believer? Even though it might be through suffering, or even though it might be through being a stranger in this land. What do we do with all this praise? What do we do with all this hope? What do we do with all this faith that we talked about last week? What do we do with the truth that we read in verses 10 through 12? How do we then live our Christian life? And that's why verse 13 is so encouraging for us, because verse 13 says, now you're ready. It's amazing, isn't it? Now you're ready to live the Christian life. This passage that we look at this morning is a street-level passage. It is a practical passage. It sets the course of our, for our existence and how we live daily life. Verse 13, therefore, everything that we've read, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded. You are ready for action. Your mind is ready to be engaged with daily life. And the praise and the description that Peter gave in the first 10 verses make you sober-minded, balanced, live with clarity, live with good judgment. So that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. Building on what we spoke of last week, how then do we live the Christian life? What does the Christian life look like? Or, even as we read in the final verse, in verse 25, and this is the word of the gospel that was proclaimed to you. What is the fullness of the gospel as expressed in 1 Peter chapter 1? And we're going to see that it's primarily holiness. Holiness. So we're going to look at holiness in three different, um, or the, the three different ways that Peter explains holiness. Peter, first of all, explains holiness in relationship. And then he explains holiness in redemption in verses 18 through 21. And then finally, how holiness is fulfilled in love in verses 22 through 25. Holiness in relationship, holiness in redemption, and then holiness that is filled in love. So let's take a look, first of all, at holiness in relationship in verses 13 through 18. Holiness described and defined is to speak of a life of purity, to be cleansed. To be holy is to be clean. But even more so, we can talk about holiness as the transcendence of God. When God is declared to be holy, 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 he is not just pure, 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 but it is to exalt his majesty. God is also holy in the sense of otherness. He is set apart. He is transcendent in his majesty. He is other. One author has written, just as God is different from the world, so 
Are we as his children and heirs of the inheritance set before us in heaven to be different from the world? But here's the problem. That can all sound very wooden. And that can sound as if we describe holiness as something sterile or clinical. God, this transcendent God wagging his finger at us with a list of rules and to say, do this and do that. And if we don't do this or do that, then he's upset with us. Something, somehow, in this passage should desire to make us holy. First Peter 1 does not just give us a definition of holiness and, say, and then says, be holy. In fact, in verses 13 through 25, there are, there are about two verses, two or three verses that actually speak of holiness. And the rest, here's the interesting part about this passage, the rest speaks about relationship. Peter spends far more time, far, a greater time talking about relationship with God, motivating us towards holiness, in other words, preparing our minds for action so that we are balanced, so that we are sober-minded, then actually talking about holiness. So how does Peter make our minds ready? How does God prepare our minds? And it does so because God focuses on our relationship with him. So we're going to take a look, first of all, at four relational reminders for holy living. Four relational reminders for holy living. In other words, there's not some distant God just wagging his finger and saying, follow this list of rules and be holy. But it flows out, the motivation for holy living flows out of relational living with God. The call to holiness is clear and it's concise. Peter spends, the most, Peter spends most of his time focusing on relationship. First of all, we are to be obedient children. Obedient children. For Peter, holiness flows out of a relationship of God as father and believers as obedient children. It's like a good father calls for obedience to truth with his children. That's the blessing of obedience. And so also, as God's children, he calls us to be obedient within relationship. And this is what he says. Do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Do not be conformed to the same pattern that you had before you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and repented of your sin. You can see how this is all built on relationship. This is to live differently. This is to be set apart from the world as children. But it's, it flows out of the love of God the Father who calls us to holiness so that we can enjoy creation as creation was enjoyed or was created to be enjoyed. We are the children of God. But not only are we the children of God who are called not to be conformed to the desires of our former ignorance, but we are also called whole or called into holiness. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, verse 15, but as the one who called you is holy. You are not only children, but you are called. Again, this is another relational moment. God calls you not just for your sins to be forgiven, 
but he calls for your entire life to change, an entire life change to take place. The gospel is more than just the forgiveness of sins. The gospel is more than just a guarantee of glory to come. The gospel is living our lives out in a suffering, broken world in holiness because we are called. To be called is to be drawn into the presence of a great father. To be called is to be called by the creator who brought us into existence to enjoy him, to be in fellowship with him. We are called. We are brought into relationship with the creator. Now, this world is broken. So how do we navigate through all the brokenness? This world is a suffering world. How do we navigate through all the suffering? We go to the one who created the world. We go to the one who understands our brokenness. We go to the one who understands the brokenness of this life. The creator called us. And if we go back to Genesis, we know that the creator called us to be in relationship with him, but sin destroyed that relationship. So when God writes the word of God, we are reminded of what, uh, what life is outside of brokenness. This is a life. This is a holy life. This is how we were created to live. We are created to live in holiness. We were created to live in relationship with God, just as Adam and Eve walked with God, or Moses was called the friend of God. We read in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, the goodness of God. You were, we were, Adam and Eve were created to live, and they were free to eat from any tree in the garden. That's the abundant goodness of God. But if they were to eat from that one tree, then they would surely die. In other words, the creator calls us to live in relationship. And as we are called to live in relationship, as we read in the book of Mark, we are called to live in a relationship of love and care. We are called by God into relationship. We are not only called, but we are called by a father. Notice that in verse 8 or 17. If you appeal to the father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. You are not only a child of God, you are not only called of God, but the one who called you is, his, is your father. He's your father. You were once conformed to the ways of the world, and we hear our father saying, don't go there. Don't go back. Like the Israelites, don't go back to Egypt. They would say before Moses and God, oh, life was so good in Egypt. And here we have our father pleading with us through his word, through the gospel, not as some distant winger, uh, finger wagging God, but as a father with tears in his eyes, a father who's filled with love, pleading with you to say, you don't want that life. The one who called us, the one who drew us to himself is holy. And as he is holy, we enter into that pure, clean relationship. And as he is holy, 
We are called to be like our Father, pure, clean, separated from the world. We are to look like our Father. Not only is he our Father, and we seek to resemble the one who called us, but finally, the fourth relational truth that we find in these verses is that he is our judge. Our Father judges impartially. According to each one's work, you are to conduct yourself with reverence, with fear. Now, you may ask yourself, well, as believers, will we stand before the judge on that final day? Will we stand before the judge on that final day as believers? I think the answer is yes. But here's the interesting thing. When we stand before a holy God, the verdict has already been proclaimed in Christ. Satan is conquered. Jesus is risen. Your sins are paid for and they are forgiven. Life has conquered death and wrath has been removed. In Christ, you are justified. You are passed from death to life so that that moment when we stand before the judge, it will be our faithfulness and our holiness that will be on display. We will be so overcome with the grace and the mercy of God, the fullness of mercy that we read of in verse 13, that what takes place is we will be on display before God. And God's work will be on display that was in us. God will be boasting in the work of his son who not only forgave us our sins, but in the power of the Holy Spirit transformed us to be who we were not, to be who we needed to be because of the work of Jesus Christ. At that judgment, God will display his work in us of a life that was set free from the power of sin. And even though we were tempted and even though the the, the devil roars around like a, like a lion seeking to devour us. We grow. We grow in holiness and we grow in love and we grow in peace and we grow in praise. And it's like saying, God saying on that final day, because he is the father judge, my son, my daughter, he once was dead, but he's now alive. And like the story of the prodigal son, but so much greater the banquet, the shoes, the ring, all boasting of God on that final day, revealing the living hope that was in our hearts, the process of sanctification, so we grew in living, growing hope to the praise and glory of his name. We are children. We are called. We have a father, and we have a father judge who one day will display his glory because of the sanctifying work that he has done in our life. Yes, we are not who we should be, but we are not who we were. And God continues to grow us as we read in the first nine verses of 1 Peter. And so what happens, what what is the motivation for holiness? Today and on that final day with Jesus, with God as our father and as our judge, as children who are called We boast of the work of Jesus through our holiness. Holiness is really boasting of Jesus. The work of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus. And that's what gives us balanced living. That's what gives us sober living. Because we are children of the creator, father, judge. 
If that is holiness in relationship, then it's like Peter doesn't stop praising God. He says there is also holiness in redemption. What motivates us? God, God's person, our relationship with God. But what also motivates us is the redemption story, the gospel story. Verse 18, Peter now focuses on our relationship with Jesus. How much are you loved? How much are you, are you loved? So here's four redemptive reminders for holy living. Four redemptive reminders or four gospel reminders for holy living. Verse 18, you are redeemed. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of the unblemished and spotless lamb. The first gospel moment is that you are redeemed. You are rescued from sin. You are not just forgiven, but you are rescued from sin. Peter says, you are rescued from what? An empty way of life that was inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold. You had an empty way of life that you inherited from your fathers. This is profound. Anything outside of holiness, anything outside of the gospel, relationship with the Father, transcended, separated, is ultimately empty. It is useless. It is devoid of success. Peter's not saying that, that holiness will not be a struggle. Peter is not saying that unholiness can be exciting or the world's ways can be new and adventurous or can even bring a certain amount of pleasure or satisfaction. But in the end, it's a vapor. In the end, it amounts to nothing. It is void of ultimate peace, ultimate happiness, and ultimate joy. It is a vanishing way of life. And that's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to redeem us from that empty way of life. And not only has he come to redeem us, but he's done so again in relationship. Verse 19, he's done it in love. He didn't come with perishable things like silver and gold, but he came with his blood, the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Here is the amazing redemption story. God took on humanity. Jesus, in his godness, became man. This transcendent glory came to earth. Jesus took his moral perfection. He was the spotless, unblemished lamb of God. And in his holiness, in his perfection, he shed his blood so that you may redeemed. Again, not just so that your sins are forgiven. That is part of the story, an important part of the gospel story. But you are redeemed, set free. You are no longer slaves to sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, we read, What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Do we just keep on sinning as believers? Paul says, absolutely not. Romans 6, 16. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one that you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. You have been set free. We would go on to read in Romans 6, you are no longer slaves to sin, 
but you are set free to serve in holiness and righteousness and purity, flowing out of a love for Jesus as you have been loved by him. You are redeemed not with perishable things, but with the imperishable blood of Jesus Christ. The redemption story goes on. This did not just happen, but this was part of the eternal plan of God. Verse 20, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Jesus didn't just show up. Jesus was foreknown. Jesus, this was known from eternity past in the foreknowledge and in the relationship of God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, foreknowing, foreloving the world that would be immersed in sin. Jesus would come and carry out the eternal plan of God. God would send his son. Jesus would willingly come, empowered by the Holy Spirit. All this laid before the foundation of the world for you. You as a believer were on the heart and the mind of God in eternity past. And Jesus in his love would come and conquer sin, set you free so that you were created to live as so that you are so that you are saved, created to live as you were meant to live, and that is in relationship with God, walking with God in the garden. You were foreknown in love before the foundation of the world, but it is revealed in this last time for you, for you. And then one of the greatest definitions of holiness is verse 21. For holiness, Peter ends with this great definition. Through him, all this work of Jesus, you believe in God who raised him from the dead. What, do you, what is holiness? It's, it's a reaction to the resurrected life. You have a new life. You have new power. You are given the Holy Spirit to empower you to know the rich and deep love of God and gave him glory. Notice that who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory. Do you want to know what holiness is? As one who was called as a child, as one who has a father judge, as one who is redeemed with the precious blood of God, this eternal plan of God, what is it to be holy? Flowing out of that relationship, holiness is to give glory to God. You were created to glorify God. You were created to make much of God. You were created to live in the glory of God. And so whether it's sufferings or in brokenness or hurts, holiness is glorifying God in purity and saying, I'm not going to be conformed to that lifestyle. That's an empty way of life. God in his word has shown me the eternal way of life. Glory is to, or holiness is to enjoy the glory of God. To know that we will be a people who are set apart, strangers in this world. But it will flow not out of a list of rules. It will flow out of a relationship. And that relationship is wherever we go, we seek by God's grace to glorify his name. If holiness comes out of relationship and holiness comes out of redemption, then purity and being separated leads to love. 
This is very interesting. It might even seem strange that Peter starts speaking of love, but if we have followed verses 13 through 21 scripturally, biblically, then basically what we've read in the first 21 verses of 1 Peter is this outpouring of the love of God. You cannot read the first 21 verses of 1 Peter and know that you have been richly loved. And as you have been richly loved by a triune God, you are called to be obedient children. And really, the fulfillment of holiness, the pinnacle of holiness, is how we love one another. So that you would show sincere brotherly love for each other. From a pure heart, love one another constantly because you have been born again. Our holiness is often seen most clearly in how we are loved and then how we love others. So this is, this is an amazing place. This is why the Bible is such a surprising book because that's not how we would write verses 22 through 25. Sometimes we use our holiness not in the spirit of love, but in a readiness to judge others because they're not like us. Or sometimes we use our holiness to actually deny holiness and say, we can live any way that we want. But what Peter says is, if our holiness is all wrapped in the glory of God and based in the love of a triune God, then our holiness will be most freely expressed as we love others. That is one of the most difficult tasks, to love others as we have been loved by Christ. And yet that's what holiness begins to look like. That's where holiness leads us. Holiness, holiness leads us as a redeemed people to love and to care for others. As we have been loved, we love in holiness. And we saw this in the life of Jesus when we traveled through the book of Mark. Jesus being perfectly holy. And yet people were drawn to him. The sinful woman that we read of, I think it's in Luke 7, that, that comes in Simon the Pharisee's house, knowing that she will be judged by the religious leaders, knowing that Jesus is perfectly holy, but received in such love, received with such care, with such tenderness. And Jesus defends the woman, says, your sins have been forgiven, go in peace. Peter sets the perfect balance so that we may be ready in holiness. If we live out holiness apart from relationship, it will be a harsh holiness. If we live in relationship with God without holiness, we will live that empty way of life. But to be sober-minded and ready is to know holiness is wrapped in the love and the relationship that we have with God. And flowing out of holiness is love. And that's what we'll see, Lord willing, next week when we travel through 1 Peter chapter 2, that we have to meet people where they're at. And we have to seek to understand their lives because they may not be at that place. And God is working in them in his love. And how do we love people towards holiness? How do we love people in holiness? You see this in marriage relationships. You see this in friendships, that people make demands that they just cannot be. Met, that cannot be met? You think of the passage, be holy because I am holy. Do you stand as perfectly holy before a holy God? 
be holy just as I'm holy. But that's all done in relationship. But that's how we often are with one another. We'll say the same thing that God says. You need to be holy just like I'm holy. You need to be at this place just like I'm at this place. But we forget the relationship. God didn't just say be holy because I'm holy and just leave it at that. But God is maturing us and he's growing us. And we're going to see it's because primarily because of the spirit and the word of God. What does the word of God do? Why are these last verses so important? The last verses are so important because the Bible tells us that the Bible's not about a lifestyle that's going to perish and fade. The Bible tells us about holiness that endures forever. Do you not want the boast of Christ on that final day? When you leave the house, do you not want to shine the love of the Father who has set you apart and made you holy, who has known your name from eternity? That is the motivation of holiness. And so when we're in relationship, we remind ourselves, yes, we need holiness, but yes, it flows out of a relationship. And how do I come alongside that person and begin to journey with them where they're at and then remind them of the great truths of relationship and the great truths of redemption that spur them on and say, those are empty ways. I'm not conforming to those old ways, but I am conforming to the way of the gospel. And that is what the gospel is. And this word of the gospel is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. In this perfect balance, you have this perfect ending. The life of holiness motivates by relationship and redemption spent in love for God's people and sinners is a life that will not perish. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that's been proclaimed. We are not just a praising people. We are not just a hope-filled people. We are not just a people who trust God. We are not just the people who hold on to the word, but we are a transformed people who are ready for action to live out our holiness in relationship with God in the redemption story by the word of God as we love God's people. I read just recently that relationships are going through a hard time as people are spending more time with one another. And the world searches for answers. And God's word comes to us and says, you need to be holy. You need to do what's right. You need to do what's lasting. I think if you were to say to me, and it might not just be marriage, but other relationships that are strained, you were to say, you were to talk to me about that, you'd say, I, I can't do that. And first Peter would respond and say, the gospel does that. As you live in relationship with the gospel, as you dig deep into the redemptive story and as you dig deep into how much you are loved by God, then you set yourself apart. Do what's right by God's grace to walk humbly, to care, to be truthful, to love. And you will grow in love you will grow in holiness and you will grow in a sense of how richly you have been uh, cared for by God. Here's the amazing thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We began with the Old Testament story 
And these prophets were looking at what Jesus would do. Isn't it amazing to think that Jesus did incomprehensibly more than we would ever ask or imagine? He not only put us in a right relationship with God, but he set you free to live the life of Christ. No matter the out, outward pressures, to live the life and the love and the holiness of Christ, you are set free to do that. And that's daily living. That's what it is to be redeemed. That's what it is in all the struggles of life to say, my heart, my mind is ready for action. God, give me holiness because I have been loved. Let's pray. Father God, redeem us from the empty ways of life that we're presently pursuing. Set us free. Lord, transform us so we're no longer conformed to the old patterns of life because we have been richly and deeply loved. I pray for those who are struggling. I pray for those who are hurting. I pray for those who have given up on holiness. May they be reminded of your goodness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our prayers go with you. Our prayers go with our country. Many of you have, we, we all know of the tragedy that took place out east. We know of maybe people around the world that are suffering. We want you to know that we're praying for you. And that if there is a way that we can serve you, please reach out to us. And we would love to love you and care for you, and trust that God will bless you. So may you go with God's peace. In the name of Jesus, amen.